Mud Stories, Episode 70. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I really don't think that the 25 Days to Christmas family special thing on TV does us any favors. Because every issue they have is worked out in two hours and it ends with, you know, this glowing scene at the end where everything's happy and that's not life. Life doesn't really work that way. You know, we all come into this with our own things and all those, each, each of those individual personalities has a role to play and that's who God intended for us to work some of this out with. But there's just a lot of giving and granting of grace and it's not going to get tied up in a bow. It's just not, you know, that's not the way it works. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey there, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. Today is December 9th, and wow, December has gotten away. I have last joined you the day after Thanksgiving, and it's been a crazy last week or so for me, and I am so glad to be back, and I hope it'll be worth it for you to have waited for this particular show, because today I have Elizabeth Foss back uh, to share with us tips and inspiration and just so much hope through the mud that we often face in this Advent season, in this holiday season. You know, in a in a season of celebration and joy, there sure is a lot of hard things that many of us are facing. And so I invited Elizabeth back to share with us uh, some of those things and to help us wade through them together. And she has done just that. And I can't wait to share it with you. Now, for those of you who do not know who Elizabeth Voss is... I would like to point you in the direction of the previous two episodes where she shared her own personal mud story with us back in episode 33 and 34, and just so transparently shared her journey through cancer and suffering. We talked about all things social media and perfectionism and just all sorts of goodness there at that time. And so if you missed those episodes, I would encourage you to go back and listen. Um, There's just so much wisdom and inspiration that she shared with us then. So I'm so thankful she's back. And for those of you who don't know her, Elizabeth is a homeschooling mom to nine children. She lives in Northern Virginia. She's the author of two books. She's been a writer for over 20 years. And she has released a new resource this Advent season called Comfort and Joy, Living the Liturgy during the Advent season. Now, before I know what you're thinking, it's already December 9th, but I'm here to tell you Elizabeth's book goes all the way through January 1st. It has daily readings, daily inspirational scripture. She has lots of fun activities and tutorials to do with your kids to celebrate uh, so many of the things that historically have been celebrated by the church during this season. Uh, It's going to be filled with so much hope for you. I hope it's a resource that you'll take advantage of. And stay tuned till the end because Elizabeth has so graciously provided a special code for the Mud Stories audience to get some off of her 
ebook. And so uh, I will share that with you at the end. And so in this episode, Elizabeth and I talk through all things about family relationships and tricky holiday situations and tips for communication. We talk about how this season is sometimes stressful for our kids and some ways we can help alleviate that as parents, some tips for communication when there's disagreements or arguments, and how to really still ourselves and calm ourselves in this season that can be so busy. Elizabeth gives us tips about how to stay in a prayerful mode throughout our days, and we also talk about grief in this season of Advent and how this holiday time is a time where many of us are facing sorrow and loss and the memory of those we've loved. And Elizabeth has some great encouragement for us in that. This conversation brought me so much hope. Elizabeth has become a dear friend, and I hope that this episode is the encouragement your heart needs for this season of Advent. And so without further delay, here is my conversation with Elizabeth Foss. Enjoy. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome back to Mud Stories. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, Jackie. I'm so glad to be here. And this is such a great idea for a discussion. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And well, I love to talk to you. Anyway. Well, I'm so glad. It's an excuse to get to chat and, it's, yep. and um, we get to share about some things and dive into some hard things about this season um, with Christmas approaching and this Advent season. And um, for those people who uh, didn't have a chance to hear you the first time you joined us here, I will say it was episode 33 and 34. You shared your personal mud story and we talked about a gamut of things. That was, uh, I know, it was so great. And um one of my favorite, favorite conversations. But um, so if any of you missed that, make sure and go back. It's JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 33 or episode 34. But today, that was Le- the Lenten season. Today, um, we're going to discuss Advent. And you've written a new ebook about Advent and the Advent season. And I can't wait to dive in to uh, the mud that surrounds us in this season, because as much as we like to um, celebrate and there's, you know, lights and joy and people all around us bustling and hustling. Um, The Advent season in December in general is never without hard things, right? We know that, right? Lots of hard things. Lots of hard things. And so you're going to help me navigate some of that today. And Let's, um, you know, just all band together and um, find ourselves some comfort and joy and some hope. That's our prayer. Yep. So uh, why don't you take a moment and catch everybody up if they miss those other two episodes or for some reason they don't know of you and help them know who is Elizabeth Foss and, you know, where do you live and what do you love to do and your family and all of that? Okay, so I am the mom of a great big family. I have nine children. Um, six of them have fall birthdays, so we've all caught up on our new <laughs> ages. Which means my oldest is 27 and my youngest is seven. The oldest is married and he has um, a lovely wife who actually was the graphic designer and kind of the impetus behind the new ebook. I just really wanted to get everything on paper for her and she made it into um, a really beautiful digital rendition. So it was a really super Mm. fun project to do together because it was a like a dream come true handing on of 
you know, it's just basically what kind of wonderful world is it where your daughter-in-law says, okay, tell me everything you ever <laughs> wanted to tell me about Advent and, and Christmas and the Christmas season and beyond. And, you know, how did you do it? And what did you think? And how did you feel? And what was the mud? What are the hard things? What, how mm-hmm. do you navigate it? Right. Kristen has a, um, an 18 month old daughter. So I have a granddaughter and she's expecting her second. So she's in that new mom, yes. um, new family tradition, new, how do I do this as a married person stage? And, and it was just, there's real, synergy between the two of us. So it was a great opportunity to really think through some of these things and pull up family memories, the essays I've written over the years and ways that we think about it. So we did it together. And uh, my 19-year-old daughter helped us too. And she's the old, my oldest girl. So I have three boys and then a girl and then two boys and then three little girls. So, Mm. um, so it's kind of a family effort. So it's a great thing because it's kind of our last hurrah together. We live in Virginia and they're moving to California. So, um, so hard. Yeah. So, um, just, just as we were putting the finishing touches on this book, this news came down and mm. we literally sat side by side kind of going, okay, this is the way Christmas has always been. Mm. And this is kind of what we figured out in the last two years, you know, as they had a Christmas wedding three years ago. So, um, that was the forging of some new traditions too. And, um, and then, you know, those first couple of years with the kids coming home and stuff like that. And, and, now we're going to navigate some new territory, you know, as they live far away. Because my next two go to college in Virginia. So, okay. you know, they come home for Christmas and they come home for weekends here and there, too. But um, well, let's talk about that, because family relationships can be so hard during mm-hmm. holiday seasons. Yeah. And, you know, we can get in some tricky situations and generational differences. You mentioned you had some kids that, you know, went off to school and Come home to Love school. That. You're a home. <laughs> you're a homeschooling mom, right? You've homeschooled right. through the right. years, teacher by trade, right? And um, so and I think that you know when you're a young mom, you and you you are intentional about creating traditions, and you know that saying that days are long and the years are short. Yes. And but you think that. Okay, so, you know, this little guy is two years old and we're going to do stockings this way and we're always going to do it this way. And, and you do. And you do mm-hmm. it for, you know, 17 years and, um, and all your other little people follow suit and they all do it right along. And then all of a sudden you hit this stage where they start to leave home and you're like, oh, wait this isn't going to work this way because nobody's here or somebody's gone or whatever. So, and moms, as moms, we absorb all of that. Mm -hmm. And so your, your kids who are away are feeling like everything's different for them. And your kids who are home are feeling like everything's different than it was last year. And you're having to navigate your own feelings. Well, that's what I was going to say, because this often hits us when we are hitting midlife, right? Yeah. It does hit. So and, hard. And, you know, it's not something women talk about a lot. They don't mm-hmm. really talk about um, how, you know, everybody seems fine with sharing how hard it is to deal with a temper tantrum in the supermarket. Right. Or, um, you know, how exhausted they are with the sleepless nights or, um, you know, just the, all those things of early motherhood. There's a real camaraderie and a real sharing. Mm-hmm. But some of the things I think of, of the stage where you have teens and twenties, we're a lot less likely 
to share. And part of that, I think, is we want to protect those young adults and their problems and their challenges are theirs. Right. And but they impact us so much. And as mothers, we absorb all those different personalities, challenges and problems and when they come home or, you know, when grandparents come or or whatever that extended family thing mm-hmm. that happens at the holiday season, is tough. It's a tough thing because your roles all shift. So even if you're a young mom and you've just settled into your stage of taking care of your young children and then your mother comes to visit or you take your young children to your mother's house, right? well, now that role's all messed up again because mm-hmm. you're the mom and she's the grandma and she's got to figure out how she fits into that role and she wants to mother you and really you want to be mothered a little bit because it'd be nice if somebody took care of you for a change but you're all kind of stepping around it Mm -hmm. and I think our experience recently has been you know with college kids coming home and it's so funny they and and, I mean I have one who's even articulated it so (laughs) that he goes to school and he comes back and he finds something that's different from when he left I mean I don't even to his it surprise, could be, it could be, you know, we moved the furniture or we're not having sandwiches for dinner on Wednesday nights anymore or whatever it is. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, wait, we always did that. And it's like, well, yeah, but we always did that because you had practice and he had practice and they had dance and you're not even here. Right. So we're not doing it that way anymore because that doesn't work for us. Or, it's it's know, not Wednesday and, and, sandwich and, night anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just not sandwich night anymore. Or, you know, he'll say, well, what do you mean she has the car? that's my car. And it's like, well, first of all, it's my car. And secondly, (laughs) you haven't been here to drive that car in nine months. And she went to work. So that's why she has your car. Right. (laughs) It isn't your car. (laughs) You know, because you've been gone. Right. And the flip side of it is they've done so much growing and changing away from Mm -hmm. you. So they expect to come home with all that difference. Like, well, yeah, sure. I stay up all night and, um, and I eat whenever I want. Right. And all those rhythms of home that you have maintained while they're gone, they don't think they need to do it because they didn't need to do it in their other life, wherever they were. Right. It's just this, and it's really bad. I think, I think the summer is one thing, but the Christmas break is so hard because they come home wiped out because it's exam. Yeah. And they plop right down into that intense ramp up to Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's not like summer where they come home and there's just like this flat nothingness. It's come home. They're going to do all their shopping right away. All their friends are home from school. So I've got to see everybody because right. it's going to be Christmas. And they, you know, it's so. They're going to be busy. Think, yeah. Yeah. It's super, it's a super hard. And I think it it's good for us as moms to be aware that this is coming and to kind of think it through. So, okay. So if he comes home on this day, then how, how is this all going to work? It's also really important. And I didn't do this the first year because I just assumed that they would just follow all the rules they'd followed all their lives. Right. It's important to set those parameters and to say, okay, so now you're home and you have to remember that in order for all of us to get along in this house as a community, we have to follow some of these rules. You know, we have to, you can't come and go as you please in the middle of the night because that wakes me up if for no other reason. You know, you can't, I, I had somebody go do a Chipotle run at 1130. 
that's so true. It's okay, like so you might go eat Chipotle at eleven thirty, but the front door opened at eleven thirty, and then it opened again when you came home, and that's just not fair. Yeah. We're living here all together. You can't go get Chipotle at eleven thirty, nor can you make some whatever in the kitchen because you're banging <laughs> dishes around. Some and, whatever that is so true. Here, you oh, know? they come so alive at like eleven p.m. Oh my gosh, they do. Yeah, and they just don't understand that the rest of us <laughs> really do need to have some semblance of our normal life rhythm, even though they've been living on these odd hours. Well, because they've arrived, they're independent, and they're they're adults. They, Don't you know they're independent? That's it. They think that adulthood is independence, and really, it's not. It's right. interdependence. Right. And so you have to take them from that. Oh, I'm on my all on my own egocentric thing and go, mm-hmm. really and truly, if you're an adult, <laughs> right. you are taking into account the needs and even the wants of everybody else in your little world. Mm-hmm. And this is your sphere right now, and we're all interdependent. So if you get up in the middle of the night or you stay up in the middle of the night and you decide it's a good time to fix pancakes, <laughs> you have to know <laughs> That I hear you and I'm going to be cranky when I get up at six o'clock because that's my real life. Right. And, you know, you think you can sleep and then you're cranky because everybody's making noise in the morning. (laughs) The sun is up. That means (laughs) I know. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of giving and getting and granting of grace. and, And there's a lot of talking it through, like call it what it is. And. We women need to learn that it's okay to speak up for ourselves. You know, I think a lot of us kind of like, oh, they're home and I want home to be good. And, you know, I don't want to whine and I don't want to. And and you don't need to whine. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, because I feel like it's so easy to get our feelings hurt because we've missed them. And then Mm -hmm. we anticipate this is the date they're coming. They're going to be back. And we have unbeknownst to our own selves even get an idea of what how it's going to go. And and then it so doesn't go that way. And I don't know anybody. Where it's gone that way, especially that first Christmas break. I'm... I don't know anybody where it's gone that way. And I, I even noticed this year with Thanksgiving, um, the last three years, Patrick hasn't come home for Thanksgiving because he um, he plays soccer in college and they were deep into the postseason and so they couldn't come home. This year they lost early and he came home. And I thought, wow, this is going to be so nice. We're all together. But I have three kids in college and those kids had their heads in books all weekend that mm. you know it didn't stop for them yeah this is the end of the semester they had so much work to do so mm-hmm. whatever our notions were for a four-day weekend they were quickly edited yeah as soon as the reality of what this was came into play this was not a four-day weekend for them you know it was a chance to eat a big meal and study for the rest of the week. Yeah. I mean, it just, so I think that, I think that's part of it. I think we moms, you know, the other part is I really don't think that the 25 days to Christmas family special thing on TV does us any favors mm. because every issue they have is worked out in two hours and it ends with, you know, this glowing scene at the end where everything's happy and <laughs> that's not life. Life doesn't really work that way. We can't wrap you it know? all up. Yeah. 
and we all come into this with our own things and all those each each of those individual personalities has a role to play and that's who God intended for us to work some of this out with but there's just a lot of giving and granting of grace and it's not going to get tied up in a bow it's just not you know that's not Well, it's it's just so hard, though, when our feelings get affected Mm -hmm. and then we start making up stories like Brene Brown talks about how how, you know, the story I'm making up right now is that you did this. That line is so great. Okay, so we need to back up for people who don't know. So Brene Brown has this wonderful technique, for lack of a better word, that um, I think really resonates with a Mm -hmm. lot of women. And I think what happens is you get this whole um, this whole scenario where you know, he says one thing to you and you think, what the heck? And Mm -hmm. why did he say that? And instead of saying, what the heck? Why did you say that? (laughs) You kind of storm around the kitchen and you're mixing the eggs and you're, you know, doing whatever and you're putting things away. And the whole time you're thinking, I do all the work around here and I'm putting Uh things away. And he said that because, and you make up a story in your head. Right. And this story is probably not anything like what it really is. Like, that's not why he said it. It's just what you're feeding yourself in your own right. disappointment or insecurity or And then whatever. you get your emotions all out of bent based on the story you've yep. created. And it escalates and escalates and yep. escalates and suddenly this story takes on a life of its own. <laughs> and if we can stop that, and I think with with our, our older children and with our parents and with our spouses and say, you know, the story I'm making up in my head is... That's right. And let somebody say, well, that's not it at all, or right. that's not what, what I intended at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's such a great technique. I, I hope I explained it. Well no, you did. It was, that was perfect. Um, because I just think it's so great. It is. It is. And the end result being to really realize at the end of the day, when you've had a chance to clarify all of that, that giving others that we love the benefit of the doubt to know that they're doing the best they can. You know, we're all doing the best we can. Whatever we say, we're not intending to hurt someone or get their, you know, expectation out of whack. We we really aren't. It just... So often the hurt comes from that. And so, you know, I think there's a benefit in teaching our children to do the same thing. Tell me the story you're making up in your head right now. Oh, that's good. That's a good one for a college age son, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) it it really is. Because I think that I, I have noticed in the last year with my college age kids and their interactions with each other, too. Or they're just way off. Like, you know, the one that's away is sure that the one that's home is saying this, 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 and this, and doing this according to that plan. Mm -hmm. And I'm right here watching and going, huh? Like, I don't even know where you got that. But it's the story he's making up in his head. And we all do it. And um, and some of our kids, I think, do it more than others. The ones who have really good imaginations (laughs) and who are really sensitive. Sensitive. I was going to say that, yeah. You know, the... um, I, I have a, um, you know, personality type wise, I'm an INFJ. Okay. And I have an ENFJ. And we're, I'm just so sure that the NFJs among us are making up stories in our head all the time. <laughs> like we live in a story in our head and, yeah. and he does it and I do it and I internalize it and see and storm, you know, internally. Mm-hmm. And he, he does not internalize it. And we all know, and you know, and it's interesting to watch that dynamic. And, but it's also important, I think, to respect the way each of us approaches 
the relationships we have with other people and to begin to understand that it's not going to be my way over your way. It's going to be your way and my way and his way and her way. And they all have value in this interplay. And as your kids get older, especially those of us who have, have, you know, four or five kids in a family, that's, that's to be expected that you're going to have lots of personality and with it will come conflict and conflict isn't always a bad thing. It's just differences and you're not helps us learn and it gives us a chance. It gives us a chance to serve one another if we really can get out of our own selfish perspective, um, which applies to friendship. It applies to our, our work relationships. Exactly. It's a great place for kids in a family to learn how to be good friends and to work in a work relationship. You know, you're, not everybody's going to be your favorite person. And it's okay if somebody in your family is not your favorite person. That's okay. Yeah. You know, and there there will be places where, you know, that sister might be preferred over this sister, but that doesn't mean we're ugly to the sister who's not as preferred. It just means we learn to get along differently. Right. And, and that these are all opportunities to do that. But if you go into the whole pre-Christmas warm-up and Christmas celebration expecting that we're all going to be Norman Rockwellian, <laughs> then you're going to get lambasted yes. by the fact that in reality, we're not. We're going to rub up against each other. And, and this is what it really is. Mm-hmm. So it's okay if that's what it is. We're going to have be- disagreements and yeah, yeah, arguments. Yeah. And the, the key is how we handle handle those feelings. And I think the tool of the story I'm making up right now is such a good tool. It is. Um, because, yeah, because it gets to the core of what the issue is, no matter where we are in life, you know, with our family, work, friendship. The other thing I think, too, is, you know, you don't have to be responsible for everybody's everything Mm -hmm. just because you're the mom. Like, I think we have this tendency when they all come in to take ownership of everybody's good holiday. And you know what? If somebody has a bad holiday, it's not your fault. You know, it it, and you can't if you multiply that by however many people are under your roof, that's a lot of a lot of responsibility you're going to mm-hmm. you're really going to collapse under the stress of trying to make it something for somebody else for all those different people that's you right know? yeah yeah well and we all handle stress in different ways and the the christmas season is really one of the busiest times of year oh yeah you know whether you're a follower of christ or not i mean in general the world is busy well the north american world is busy uh, you know during the christmas season and it's hard sometimes to keep things simple and that sometimes makes it um you know spin out of control and disagreements and arguments are heightened and i think some of the tools we talked about can help us bring the focus back in the busyness. But, you know, the busyness itself is a whole nother topic that is a struggle because, you know, Christ coming as a baby, um, God providing this greatest gift for us in our greatest need. It is a time that we long to be calm and peaceful. I mean, you know, the, the titles of the Advent Sundays are hope right. and peace and love and joy. And, joy and yeah. yeah, and yet the, the busyness that we create for ourselves with schedules and there are good things. I mean, you just finished a 
nutcracker extravaganza, right? Oh, yeah. And um, talk to us a little bit about this busyness and handling stress and even our kids being stressed. Yes. And this is a great day for me to talk about kids being stressed in the busyness. So it's so funny. I don't even know how to be become this family of dancers. And but we did. And so um, Nutcracker for my family, um, it's an intense season and it is a season. So my oldest daughter is a high, is a college student now, but she was dancing at this dance school you know, when she was in high school and and before even. And she, last year, she danced the lead in Nutcracker. This year, she's teaching at the school. So she's all in. Mm. She's, she was choreographing Nutcracker this year. Beautiful. And um, so then my 13-year-old um, and my 9-year-old and my 7-year-old girls all danced at this school, and they all had several roles in Nutcracker. Somehow, two or three years ago, I guess it was three Nutcrackers ago now, um, it was Mary Beth's first time dancing Sugar Plum Fairy. Mm-hmm. And it was probably mid-October. And we put the costume on her, and it was pretty ugly. I mean, it just was very <laughs> deflating. Oh, no. And, and then I started looking at the other costumes of the leads and going, we could do better than this. I could do this better, which is how I get myself into stuff. Like, <laughs> like homeschooling. I yeah. think I see what's I coming. Better. I think so I see what's anyway, coming. So what oh, I no. Did that year was I remade a tutu, like a platter tutu. Those are the big tutus that stick straight out. Mm. Um, I remade it. I, I talked to a friend who does it, and she told me kind of how she do. She lives in Texas, so she didn't show me, but I kind of looked at what she was doing, and I looked at it, and she sent me some lace, and I thought, I can do this. So I did. <laughs> and the director was like, oh, my gosh, that's gorgeous. Tell me you sewed before. I, a little bit. I actually had just the year before I had taken um, an online class with Deborah Meebs at Whipstitch and learned how to quilt. And that was like my entree into sewing. Really? And uh, I made a Christmas quilt that I will forever be incredibly proud of. And um, and so then after that quilt, I started doing like sewing little um, girl clothes from patterns, all mm-hmm. in cotton. Mm-hmm. I'd never worked in any other medium but cotton. So I went from cotton to tool and lace. It was oh, ridiculous. Oh, my. And, um, and, but then we, we held the sugar plum costume up and we went, oh my gosh, we have to do something with the snow queen because it looks stupid. Now it's too drastic <laughs> of a difference. So, so I did sugar plum and snow queen that year. And then last year I did do drop. And then somehow last year, I also took responsibility for making every, making sure that every single costume in the show looked worthy of that sugar plum costume and so I didn't really make them all but I, by this time I had wrote my friend Nicole into the you world. were embellishing I, said don't, think, I said don't you think that we could do a better job of taking care of these costumes I think they need to be washed and fluffed and yeah you know we could inventory them and we could just make them all look so much better she's like yeah 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 and they all stink too so let's wash them all so last year, her uh, house was hung with these costumes because my washing machine was tearing them up. So she washed them all at her house and we embellished them and we fixed them. And, you know, so in other words, 
I have four girls dancing in the Nutcracker, and somehow I have put my hands on every single costume in the entire production. Oh, and volunteered my time to make sure that everybody's dressed backstage. Like I don't even know how it happened, but it did. So it's wonderful because I really do get to know all the girls in the school. I mean, there's nothing like you know dressing somebody in right. terms of getting to know them. But and, Elizabeth, uh, your home was still running, right? <laughs> It was ridiculous. Well, I don't know. My husband might tell you that my home didn't run last week because it was pretty crazy. <laughs> this year, <laughs> this year we had them all, all the costumes were actually in my house. Like I, I did all the washing here oh. and, and they stayed here for like all of November waiting until Nutcracker. And that Sugar Plum costume, did, it, it fit my daughter beautifully, but our Sugar Plum this year was six feet tall. So we needed a new sugar plum costume, and I made it two or three weeks ago, and that it didn't fit her. So I made another one. So now we have three. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, so it's kind of a crazy week. But my point is, so my 13-year-old daughter is, she danced the show Friday night. She danced the show last night. But yesterday during the day, she danced two Nutcracker teas at the Ritz-Carlton. And then this morning, she dance to Jack Frost tees. So she, so this is the kid who now has had every schedule routine she's ever encountered blown to bits Mm. in the last week with rehearsals and performances. She loves this more than anything. She wanted to do this. She wants to do this, but she's requiring a tremendous amount of support right now Mm -hmm. because she's exhausted she was coming off of an injury, so we're being real protective of her knee. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's 13, which is a real hard girl age anyway. That is. So all those things are like the perfect storm. And you look at that kid and you think, okay, first of all, if you if you ever been around a performance and you have, you know that mm-hmm. there are some people who just kind of eat up the drama around it and kind of fuel it. And I've learned that the one of the reasons I love our dance school is that our director doesn't do that. She just, I mean, there are people there who do, but she's laid back sometimes to the point of, I go, oh my gosh, she's just not even organized at all, but she really is. And, and she has taught me that we don't need to spin everything into a frenzy. Instead, mm-hmm. what we need is for these kids to take, teach them, take a deep breath, step back and Here's what you need to do. You need to learn right now how to take care of yourself in times of tension. And I need, as your mom, to help you do that. I need to nurture you more. I need to make sure that you sleep. Right. Um, you know, I need to maybe, and I did this yesterday twice, where I just sat and held her. Mm. You know, just just put my yeah. arm around her and just kind of brought, you know how when they're babies, you put your hands mm-hmm. on their back and it just, yeah. that's all they need. Well, sometimes I think they need that. They, yeah, and, they do. And they need space. They need to get away from the big gathering. I was working backstage. So I was in a room that was basically room enough for me and whoever I was dressing. And, you know, I, there were two, there were three different little girls who were not my girls who I pulled back there before performances because I could see they were melting down. They yeah. just needed to get away from that general crowd of people and come back in and, you know, the, the sensory challenges that some kids have are hard any time mm-hmm. of year. 
That's Those right. kids who have sensory challenges, this time of year is one meltdown after another because mm-hmm. the routines are disrupted. They're away from home more. Yeah. They, um, they don't have the same emotional guideposts that they do ordinarily. And we have to we have to know that we have to be really sensitive to that. And I, it was a great, it was last night, I, Katie um, and Caroline both danced at the Ritz yesterday. So they both came home at like, I don't know, four o'clock. And I, in my type A world, wanted to be <laughs> at the high school at four o'clock, taking all those Ritz costumes and putting them on the right racks for last night's performance. The performance was at seven. But I, in my type A world, wanted to be there three hours early to do this. So I'm on my way to the high school, and I got the brilliant idea to call the director, who was with the girls at the Ritz, and just make sure she had the boxes at the high school. And she said, well, um, I'm at home, and I'm just pulling dinner out of the oven. My husband made dinner, and I'm going to eat, and I'll meet you over there at 4.30. And I thought, you what? (laughs) You're all... Wait, you're gonna eat? That's what I thought. A well, home cooked meal. Because you know what? Tonight's gonna be a really busy night and she's gonna sit down and eat. Okay. That's a good idea. That's a good I idea. I went back home and I told my girls we're gonna sit here until Miss Heather is finished eating. <laughs> because eating is a smart idea. <laughs> and, um, you know, but that's the thing. Like we oh. have to set that parameter. How much do I love that that was an epiphany for you? You know, being the, being the consummate homeschooling, home cooking mom that you are. I just love that example. (laughs) Let's see. I had, I had cooked a meal. I had boxed it all up and I was going to have my children sit on the floor of the dressing room and eat it. Right. Cause you had made it. You just were going to do it on the go. Yeah. Right. That was fine. I mean, there was food there, but the thought that, wait, we can pause, stop, sit, eat. And I thought that's really, that's a much healthier thing to teach them. And this season needs that. It needs us to stop and pause and eat. It needs Mm -hmm. us to stop and pause and exercise. I guess you don't stop and exercise, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You need to carve that time Mm -hmm. out and say, yes, this is a busy day, but I have to take these 20 minutes and just go for a walk or something. Yeah. Um, And we need to pray. We need to stop and pray because it's so easy to say, all right, well, this is all about preparing for Christmas. This is this Advent tradition or this church festival or whatever. Of course we're praying. This is, but no, you're not. You're not being quiet and still and listening to his voice. You're listening to the clamor of all the celebration. And Advent's really about waiting in wonder. It's supposed to be a quiet, preparation time and we can't adequately prepare if everything is always a whirl of activity so so how do we how do we combat that I mean in the in that moment last night you did you know recognize that and pause and that was awesome but how do we how do we internally um stay with pause before us you know like like 
be ever aware of the need for not thinking of all the things on the list, you know, check, 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 check. How do we slow down in the busyness? Because you and I both know there's a lot of opportunities to say yes to things. And we have to choose what to say yes and what to say no to. Otherwise, we're going to get on that hamster wheel. And pause is not our natural default. And so being a performance and perfectionism is a whole nother topic for maybe another day, <laughs> right? We could talk about perfectionism as it relates. And we Christmas. did last time. I mean, but oh. even as it relates to Christmas, like I, I think know. We write a book on Christmas and perfectionism. You're right. This season feeds that tendency like no other. Like no other. That is true. And not only perfectionism for our own selves, but us needing our kids to be like that. For making it perfect for everybody. For everybody, yes. And being the creator of the perfect holiday. Right. And, you know, we're not. But I I think in order to encourage a pause, I think one thing, not so much easy but simple thing is to institute, promise yourself that you will bookend the day with prayer. So no matter how busy, no matter what happens first thing in the day, give yourself that quiet time in the morning, like top of the morning. Okay. Well, teach us what to do. Give us some practicals. Like, okay. that's nice. But what if people, what if somebody's listening and they, you know, prayer's nice. They go to church. They like listen to other people pray, but like, it's not their thing. Like prayer, that's nice that you do that. But like, I don't really know how to do that. So give, give us some guidance on that because maybe that is something that we want to do, but don't know how. Okay, so, I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. And, you know, over the centuries, the Christian call to prayer, the ancient call to prayer, has been kind of the hard stops of the day, you know, where you you are called to prayer six times a day. Um, And and that sounds really weird. Like, okay, six times a day we're going to stop and pray. But let's just think about stopping and praying twice a day. Just hit two of those. Okay. The morning prayer and the evening prayer. What are the ones in between and for those who care? What are Okay, so tell us the six times. If we're praying the liturgy of the hours, you have the the first prayer in the morning, morning prayer. And then you have mid-morning prayer and midday prayer, mid-afternoon prayer, evening prayer which is called vespers. Night prayer, which is like bedtime prayer, and then a floating hour, which is often the the night watch. Okay. Um. So middle of the night prayer, which is really the the, the prayer of nursing mothers mm-hmm. or um, OB nurses, <laughs> or waking up that, old people. <laughs> yeah. As we get I mean, older, sometimes sleep true. is hard. Yeah. It mm-hmm. is true. Like there are people who are called out of their sleep in the middle of the night. And, and the, that's a beautiful time to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about women who, who, you know, you want, you want to pray before your feet hit the floor in the morning. So okay. your alarm goes up. So for me, what I do, uh, my alarm goes off and I have set alarms on my phone. There's an app called Echo which will allow you to set alarms on your phone to remind you to pray. You can, you can key in the prayer intention or even the words you want to pray. And, um, and there's a place to check 
it off when prayers are answered. So like if a friend asks you to pray for them, you can key it in and tell it to remind you to pray for them every day at 11 o'clock or something Mm. like that. But what I've done, so every morning my alarm goes off and my prayer prompt is morning prayer. And it's just a morning offering, you know, just, okay, God, before I even open my eyes this morning, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to give it to you. Please let me do your will today. Let me know it. Let me do it. Give me the grace and strength to be who you want me to be today to everybody I meet. Mm -hmm. And then get up. Every mom can do that. The moms of little ones, every mom can eke out that little, I don't know, probably 20 seconds there um, of prayer. And Moms and dads, yeah. Connected. Yeah, yeah. We all... All can make a morning offering before we get out of bed. And then what I do is I go downstairs and and I'll do one of two things. I'll take it on the run and I'll pray out in my neighborhood on the running trails. Or I'll sit in a chair in my living room. And you can use divineoffice.org to pull up the, the morning prayer of the liturgy hours of the church. And that will give you... Psalms and uh, Old Testament reading, New Testament readings, um, and prayers of the church for that day. And every day it's it's new and it cycles you through scripture um, and gives you some format. You can do that. Mm-hmm. I like to pull up She Reads Truth and read the scripture readings and read the, the meditation and journal a little bit. Think about, you know, what is God trying to tell me this morning in this reading? And, you know, I would love to spend a long time with that. And sometimes I can and sometimes I can't. Sometimes somebody comes downstairs and interrupts me. And my girls, my little girls know that I have, you know, their Bibles, storybook Bibles and a little bit bigger Bibles sitting right there near where I am. And they'll know to pick it up and take it. But I also don't expect... As they've gotten older, it's it's more likely that they'll sit there for a while and respect my silence. But I wouldn't expect a two or three year old to, right. you know. And that's when you just hop up and you get on with your day. But prayer is a constant running conversation with mm-hmm. God. So that's if right. you start your day that way, and you ask the Holy Spirit, just keep talking to me today, mm-hmm. and just prompt me to keep talking to you. You will pray more throughout the day. Then you can set those alarms to actually remind you. So decide where you want your hard stops. Do you want to stop again at lunchtime? Kind of look at the morning and and say, you know, God, thank you for this and this, and I'm sorry for this, and what do you have for me this afternoon? Then that's another time to stop. Right. You could also at that point look over your notes if you journaled in the morning. Where were you? Where are you going? And then do the same thing at mid-afternoon if you want. And and that's we call it the hour of mercy at three o'clock where you just really reflect on how God's mercy can be poured into this afternoon and, mm-hmm. and he can redeem anything that's yeah. gone wrong so far. And I love any that. missed opportunities and, and he can give you strength through the evening ahead. And this is where we tend to hit a slump and we, mm-hmm. we go for sugar or coffee yes. or a temper tantrum and, <laughs> Instead, that is like the perfect time to stop and go, okay, pour more grace, God. I need Mm -hmm. more grace. Then evening prayer, um, a lot of times can be grace before meals. Prayer before a family meal is, you know, a really nice way to pull everybody together for a brief prayer for the evening. You can plug Divine Office into the port in your minivan and pray 
while you carpool. So that works. And then night prayer. You know, I pray with my kids before they go to bed. And then I pray with my husband. And then if I'm up in the middle of the night, more often than not, it means that somebody needs my prayers. And I don't always know when. or who. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always don't always know who. But even at this stage of life, I do. I'm up at night a lot. And, um, and for those, for those boys having Chipotle at 1130 in Virginia, right? (laughs) Right. And I'm praying for them because you never know. That's right. But I, I, I do encourage you, you know, when you find yourself awake Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, this is your chance to join the community of people around the world who are praying in the middle of the night. And sometimes we don't know who we're praying for, Mm -hmm. but somebody needs our prayers. And so, so it's just an idea of having the sense of your whole day being a running conversation with God and starting and ending with prayer. And and that prayer before you go to bed at night, um, you know, examine your conscience, think about what went wrong, think about what fell through the cracks. You know, that's where you, you can repent and you can ask for forgiveness Mm -hmm. and you can resolve for the next day to, to be better, you know, and to, to pick it up again and to, to do it again. But it's also the right time to give thanks, Mm, you know, make a list of blessings. It's, it's a really good practice and, and make it an actual list. And I know my life changed that year. I did that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But if you end the day with that grateful prayer, then and you know you're going to end the day with a grateful prayer, then what you start doing is throughout the day, you're noticing the things right. that you will bring to the gratitude at the end of the day. It's like a and hunt. sometimes I think things happen and they go unnoticed. Mm. So I think you're right. I think it's very important that we don't look at prayer as something on our to-do list. We look at prayer as a gift. Those are not Um, nuggets of time that we have to fill their pockets of peace that fill us Mm. and when we do that then we we seek it we eagerly want it and it becomes a habit don't you think it does it absolutely does we feel it when you know like any habit when it's not there we want it we want to go back to it and I love that you said it can start with just two times and we can redeem yes. a lot of this technology for good. You know, having an oh, app yeah. to remind us can be so great. And because a lot of us are well-intentioned and we don't mean to miss it, we just get caught up and things roll. And if you're not intentional, the other thing is, I think the surrender of your heart um, is so beautiful to God in, in the in the act of meeting him at those hard right. stops. And I think as we pray, God, help me see you, you know, have your Holy Spirit really prompt me for what it is I should pray about. And um, he's so faithful, so faithful to meet us, meet us just right where we are. It doesn't have to be fancy and it doesn't yeah. have to be long, right? No, it doesn't. And, you know, it's funny because I think that we forget how brief it can be. But so what I do, you know, I do the echo, you can do the echo to help you keep track of of where you want those powerful prayer pauses during the day. But something else I do is um, I, I have an iPhone and I set the hourly 
alarms on my iPhone. So okay. six o'clock in the morning, seven, eight, nine, from six to six. So 12 hourly alarms. And I have keyed into those 12 hourly alarms, 12 different prayer intentions for my husband. So I'm going to pray about his walk with God. I'm going to pray about his job. I'm going to pray about his financial burdens, his time management, our marriage, his vocation as a father, all those things. Mm. And I've keyed in one reminder per hour. So my alarm goes off once an hour. It's kind of annoying to some people around me. But <laughs> once an hour, my alarm will go off. And it, it, the reminder will come up, like it'll say across my iPhone screen um, for our marriage. And that's two o'clock. And at two o'clock, I have a set prayer that I pray asking for God's intercession in our marriage. And it takes me 20 seconds. I love that. Okay, so 20 seconds, 12 times a day. It's not a big deal, but that means that 12 times a day, I have... Ask the Holy Spirit to intercede on mm -hmm. behalf of my husband. I have literally called grace down on him. Yeah. And in my mind, as well as in my heart, he's on my mind. Mm -hmm. He's there. I brought him before my mind. Right. Even though we're apart. And a lot of times, you know, we're a thousand miles apart because he's working out of state. But and he knows that. He knows that I'm praying for him all day long. And prayer changes us, you know? It's it like does. I'm not asking God I'm so glad to you change his that. mind about something about like so so to put myself before the throne of mercy on behalf of my husband twelve times a day is going to change my heart towards my husband. Yes. It does. And that's the gift of it. And we're not talking big commitment. We're talking 20 right. seconds. And don't you think, I mean, this can work for any relationship to protect yep. the yep. sacredness of it, you know, Absolutely. especially for, as we were talking earlier about those tendencies for disagreements and arguments mm -hmm. and tension, yep. you know, what would happen if instead of grumbling and letting bitterness grow in resentment, what if we set our alarms for that week for that person? That person. Right. right. And we're going to pray blessing. Yeah. Yep. I, I, God can do miraculous miraculous things through to our own hearts as yep. we surrender to him. And that is what communication with God is all about. It's not, it doesn't have to be fancy. And that's what I love so much about it. Well, Elizabeth, for many, this season is a season that isn't celebratory. It's a season that they dread. Um, yep. One that's full of pain. You are not a stranger to pain or grief. Nope. And so I wanted to make sure and ask you about this before our time is gone. Um, talk to us a little bit about sorrow and grief and loss at the holiday time, at, at, at Christmas, at Advent. Um, how, do we, how do we maneuver it without dread and depression and just everything that can get us into a big muddy pit? Yeah. So, um, so I think when I think about, um, grief and losses at Advent, um, my go-to is probably two years ago when my father-in-law died at, at the end of October, the middle of October. So that was a rough mm. Christmas. His birthday is the Feast of St. Nicholas, which is December oh. 6th. So his birthday was always a huge, like beginning of Advent thing for us. Yeah. Um, he lived locally. He was with us, you know, all the time. And, and we celebrate that day with him. And that was kind of a big kickoff for our, our, a lot of our Advent things. So that was where I, you know, I think if you 
this year, if you say, okay, so t- tell me about an advent where there's grief, that would be it. But if I go further back, um, my mom was an alcoholic and my dad was in the Navy. And we had Christmases where my dad was deployed and mm-hmm. we had Christmases where my mom was drunk, frankly. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's a real grief in that. There's a mourning mm-hmm. as a kid that um, you don't let go of. I mean, those memories become part of your Christmas's past and you carry them. Yeah. And, and so, um, so this sense of a holiday being a disappointment is, is something that we can grieve. We can grieve the disappointing holiday. That first Christmas after my father-in-law died was so hard for all of us. I mean, it was just really, and, and it, we were all kind of new at navigating grief. I, you know, um, unfortunately my mother-in-law is dying this year and, uh, mm. and it truly like I'm we're in so the last sorry. days of, yeah. So we're in the last days of hospice. We may not make it to Christmas, you know, maybe another grieving Christmas. Um, but it's a more familiar path now. As sad as that may be, I, yeah. I kind of know now what to look for and mm-hmm. I know what to expect. So I think the first thing about um, a, a sorrowful or a disappointing Advent, you know, the, the mom who thought she was going to be holding a baby at Christmas and instead has a miscarriage in mm-hmm. October yeah. or um, those things that Christmas doesn't look the way you thought because of something really sorrowful. Um, I think the first thing is to not dismiss it. You know, you don't force yourself Mm. to be joyful. You don't have to buck up, cowboy. You know, you can you can live your grief. There can be a lot of guilt there because people feel like, well, what's wrong with me? I should be joyful. Yeah. And and you know what? If if somebody has a problem with you being grief stricken during a quote, joyful season, that's their problem. Let them own that. Your Mm -hmm. problem right now is that you're grieving. Right. And you're allowed to feel that. And And, you're not going to help yourself by denying it. You're not going to help yourself by denying it. You're also not going to help yourself by dulling it. So don't try Talk about that. That's so key. Yeah. You know, I think that there's a, a mask the pain thing. And I think mask the pain can actually take on a lot of different um, mm-hmm. uh, different forms. There's the, the one, the first one that comes to mind and you say, okay, well, we're dulling the pain is like alcohol or, or right. drugs right? where you're, you know, you're numbing it. Right. Um, but something that's a little more discreet, but perhaps more insidious is busyness. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just going to keep going and going and going and going. So yep. you can literally run from what hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so busyness is a way that we do it. Um, another way that we do it is to, um, shop too much. You know, if yep. I buy this thing, it's going to be better. Oh wait, mm-hmm. that's the thing. No, maybe that thing. No, none of these things are working for me. And we buy and we buy and it's a season that's telling us to buy anyway. And we can get ourselves into big, big trouble because we're trying to buy our way out of pain. You can't buy your way out of pain. You need to stop and stare the pain down and Mm -hmm. know that what you are feeling is real and it's authentic and it's where you are right now. That's right. You know, and so... You have to walk in that grief. Um, it's good if you have somebody who will walk in that grief with you, but it's not necessarily reasonable to expect that other people will. Most people, when they're faced with your pain, are not going to be able to look too long. 
they're going to want to turn away. It's uncomfortable. And that's okay yeah. too. You know, I, I think sometimes we're afraid to be alone in our grief and, um, and, but we're intended to be alone in our grief. You know, you have to have a reasonable expe- expectation of yourself and you have to have a reasonable expectation of other people. Yeah. Um, so you need to give yourself time and space and you also need to give yourself the opportunity to reach out and, and to talk with people. So, um, so be honest, you know, find yeah. the safe people to talk to and then also put up the boundaries for the people who really aren't safe for you right now. Right. And, because and, most likely the person who's going to be safe is somebody who has grieved. Right. Somebody right. who's been there. And they're going to get it. And, yeah. they're, and they're going to have something to offer you too. And so don't think that you're the only one who feels this. Right. Because there are people out there who do have something to offer you. You just have to be careful in sifting and, and not being afraid to put up boundaries if you find that somebody really isn't helpful. That's okay right. to put up that boundary. Because if their um, answer is, you know, well, just buck up, you know, this yeah. is Christmas, you can grieve later, you know, or get with it, yeah. or you, you know that that's a red flag, that that's not my person. Right. And it doesn't, yeah. And, yeah. and and that's okay. That person may be a person who's great for a different season. Right. But you need the right people for this season. Um, you also need to be able to find a way in this season to acknowledge that there is a gaping hole. You know, when you're grieving, whether you're grieving the fact that, you know, you have a parent who's addicted and this Christmas is going to look like every other addicted day, or you're grieving the the recent loss of, you know, a, a family member, um, you have to let yourself see the whole, okay, that's not, it's not where it should be. Like to someone, name it, right? Someone, yeah, someone's not there and, and this is what this is. Um, and then you need to, in the case of, of, of a death, you need to have a way to honor that person. You know, the, the person who has died, I, I think that there is, um, there's something wonderful about a eulogy. There's something mm. really healing about listening to what somebody meant in the lives of others. And sometimes in these kinds of seasons, we need to let ourselves go there. Remember who somebody was in your life. And I think forever, um, that quiet time in Christmas morning for me was forever changed. I told this story a little bit when we did the Lenten mud stories, but my oldest mm. son's best friend died of cancer. Right. Um, three years ago, you know, he was at Michael's wedding. Mm-hmm. He, he was Michael's best, best friend. And then a year later, so he went from being fully alive and fully a part of the wedding. Mm. He's the master of ceremonies. He said the grace before meals, you know, totally the dude. Um, a year later, he was dying of cancer and um, he was 10 weeks from dying. Um, he died March 12th. So he was really towards the end there. I had gotten up Christmas morning and everybody was still asleep and I would fixed a hot chocolate bar. So I laid out marshmallows mm-hmm. and candy canes and a whole bunch of different kinds of hot chocolate and, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, and I, I done this hot chocolate bar and still nobody woke up. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to mm. sit here and um, decided to do my quiet time. And, but I Instagrammed the hot chocolate bar. <laughs> so I put that chocolate bar on Instagram and I sat down to do my quiet time and Sean was on Instagram. Mm. And so as I was using, um, I was using the, the Bible app in my phone and, and a notification from Sean came up and he had said something about the hot chocolate bar. And I 
you know, said something back to him. And then he was doing this weird little like social media flip. So he went and like said something to me on Twitter and then he found an old Facebook post. (laughs) Then he started texting me and it was like, he was like playing with me, you know, we were going to have this conversation on my phone. Let me see how many places I can make her click. But (laughs) I was having, it, it really, I mean, I could never piece it back together, which sort of makes me sad because it was all over the place, but I was having Mm -hmm. this conversation with Sean and he was talking to me about um boys leaving and coming home and um because that was that first year that they were home and then he he mentioned something about my father-in-law and and you know about death and loss and you know he just was pouring out his heart in that morning yeah and so forever for me Christmas morning and hot chocolate bars will be about Sean yeah and and that's okay so the next year you know so there's a part and he's like, you know, I don't know if I can bear to put this hot chocolate bar out. And then there was the part that said nobody else had that hot chocolate bar experience. It was only my hot chocolate bar experience. So I'm going to put this hot chocolate bar out and I'm going to walk through the motions of mm-hmm. doing that. And I'm going to think about Sean the whole time. And it's going to be okay because I loved him. Mm-hmm. And I love that conversation. So I think it's important to let yourself go there. You don't want to dwell to the point where you you go into a pit you can't go out of. Right. Um, and I have told people about, you know, like it. you need to talk. So it's that fine line. Mm-hmm. Um, but know that to mourn is work. It is work. Yeah. So give yourself time to do that work and give yourself grace to understand why you're tired, why that work makes you tired and how maybe this year you can't do everything else you did because you're doing the hard work of mourning. Well, and there's no certain length of time, Mm -mm. you know, each situation is different. And you never know when you're going to get hit by a wave. I know. You know, you just don't, it could be something completely unexpected. You know, I, sometimes I'll catch a glimpse of um, an older man in a baseball cap at a ball field. And I'll be like, Oh, you know, Mm. because that was where I saw him all the time. And that's how he looked. So you have to give yourself time and acknowledge that morning is hard work. So know that you're going to be doing that work. You might not be able to do the things that you always do. And, um, and then you need to really, especially if it's something that has affected the whole family, you need to be open to their conversations and their memories and helping them to talk about those things and honor the memory. You know, what can we, what can we do here that is going to make you feel better? It's going to make you feel like we're honoring that whole right yeah. now. Yeah. You know, and it could look different for every situation. And what I love about the prayer that we talked about earlier is that, you know, some of that prayer time can be asking God to come and help us along our journey of healing in our grief because right. he is a savior who is not a stranger to suffering and understands and has an ultimate plan to redeem our grief. We may not ever see what that redemption is, but we aren't a people without hope. And Exactly. And yeah. and that's what Advent celebrates. We celebrate, you know, the waiting in joyful hope. Yeah. That's what we're doing. We're waiting in in hope. And so if ever you needed a season of hope, it's when you're walking through that valley of death or loss, mm-hmm. you need to be an Advent people Yeah. when 
you're walking through that hard stuff. Advent, as much as, you know, it's all about the silver bells and the commercials and the, you know, Christmas mall Santas and the parties at the office, it's really not. It's about waiting with hope mm. for the Savior. Right. It's, Advent is for the people who grieve. That's who it is. He came to wipe away every tear. Beautiful. And that hope as we embrace it and as we grasp it and learn it is what really brings comfort and joy. Right. Which is what you've written about, comfort and joy and all the traditions Uh, and seasons and encouragement. The book, the book kind of weaves those, those hard things is are woven into all the other things, you know? Well, because that's real life. Yes. It's all woven. Yes. So some days are going to, you're going to hit it and it's going to be, you know, happy and light. And some days you're going to need somebody to say, you know what? You really, really don't need to be the perfect Martha. You just need to be an innkeeper. (laughs) And, you know, some days, you know, you need somebody to say, hey, remember that being a dad at Christmas is a thing and you need to maybe nurture your husband a little bit. Right. And, um, And then sometimes you, you know, you, you need help on hospitality. It's it's this balance in this thing. And the other thing I think that's important to remember as you're preparing for Christmas is to remember that Christmas is a season. So we have the season of Advent, which ends on Christmas Eve. Then we have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then we have the season of Christmas. The church celebrates the season of Christmas until January 6th. So the book goes through January 1st. And acknowledges that that week after Christmas is time to celebrate Christmas. And, you know, some of it, some of the best way to celebrate Christmas is to sit around in your pajamas and play with your new toys and read your new books and relax and and just enjoy each Mm. other's presence. Yes. But, But as you are preparing for Christmas, remember, it's not just one day or just the 24th and 25th. Use those days in the in the week between Christmas and New Year's to extend, not to do more, but to spread it out. So you take some of the mm. pressure off of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. You won't feel like you have to cram this whole Christmas celebration into this 36-hour period. Right. You have a season to celebrate Christmas. One thing we do to extend it, for instance, um, On the Feast of Epiphany, we give gifts. The wise men gave gifts to Jesus. And you have to understand, in my house, gift giving is pretty pretty simple because with this many people, it could get crazy real quickly. So we do our stockings on St. Nicholas Day, and they get traditional, you know, typical stocking stuffer things. And then they each get a gift at Christmas. And they draw names, so they have secret Santas in the family, so they get so a gift from fun. one of their siblings. Ah. So they, so now we have two gifts at Christmas, and that's it. But it, we stop, and everybody opens a gift at a time, so, you know, it takes a while to yes. do this. We did notice that last year, it was the first year of having a grandbaby mm. or this precious little niece and nephew. A lot of people bought Lucy a present. She got way more than a gift. But um, so I see a little bit of mayhem in the future. But um, Lots of ripping paper. <laughs> but, okay, so they get two then. And then they get a third gift on the Feast of Epiphany, which is um, January 6th. And what I do with that is I choose a book for each of them and I wrap it in gold and I stack it in the middle of the dining room table 
and it, you know, looks like gifts, you know, gold from afar um, from the Magi. And we've just extended the season all the way to January 6th. And, you know, I don't feel this pressure to take down the tree right away on the 1st of January. You know, we leave it up and I take it down a little bit later because it's a season. Yeah. Um, and those are ways that we can take a little pressure off and, yeah. and enjoy a little more and build in time for you to take care of yourself. I love and that. Yeah, I love that. And I and I think what I love too, because you're my Catholic sister in Christ, I have learned from you and from others, uh, the church we're going to right now um, holds to a liturgical calendar, I finally got the message to wear purple in December. (laughs) And it's just been such a breath of fresh air for me personally, because in all the years of church going as a Protestant believer, um, not everywhere where I worshipped um, held to the rich history and liturgy that's available for us to celebrate. Of course, it's, you know, not a mandatory thing. It's just um, fun and reflective and helps us really um, be more in touch with our heritage. And I love in your in your book how you have integrated child wonder and adventure and imagination and just stops in the season of Advent. So it does spread that out. And, See, and I think the thing the thing with liturgy and the liturgical year in particular, um, if you think about how our children thrive with structure, mm-hmm. not rigidity, but knowing that first we do this and then we right. do this, or when we get ready for bed, we brush our teeth and then yes. we go potty and then we wash our hands and then we get back, we get into bed and we get a story and we have a prayer, you know, and they just, they, they love thrive. that. Yes. They thrive on that rhythm of the day. Mm-hmm. And so do we, as so the liturgy we. of the hours gives us that rhythm of the day. Well, the liturgical year gives us a rhythm to our year. And so we can thrive in that structure. We can take that that liturgical structure of the feasting and the fasting, mm-hmm. and it can be really good for our own our own hearts and our own minds and even our own bodies, you know? Yes. It, it, that feasting and fasting keeps us from overindulging. It keeps us, it keeps us steady. And just the way, you know, a good bedtime routine or a good morning routine gets everybody out the door on the time. Right. Um, and, and so the family that celebrates the liturgical year, that structure benefits them. And yeah. so if we don't buy into the commercial structure of Christmas where, you know, it starts on Black Friday and or maybe it starts on Thanksgiving now. And, right. you know, it's bye, 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 frantic, 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 frantic do, 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 over mm-hmm. at Christmas. Right. It's like, wait, no, it's not over at Christmas. We just got to Christmas. And everybody ends exhausted and overwhelmed and feeling empty and lost. Yeah. So if you turn that on its end and say, no, I'm going to spend this time preparing for Christmas, and then I'm going to celebrate Christmas, you're not going to be wiped out. I love that. Well, your book starts with Thanksgiving and ends with January what? 
January January 1. January yeah. 1. You've included recipes, you've included tutorials for things to do with kids, book recommendations, some printables and just all yeah, sorts so there, of fun yeah, things, right? printables in there and then there's prayer printables. Um there's 45 minutes of a podcast on how to do this whole prayer thing, mm. the hard stops and yep. um, some self-care woven into that. It's, you know, 45 minutes to treat yourself as you take a walk or um, block out the noise in the mall or whatever. Yep. You can listen to the podcast Love while you, you shop. Um, but um, so there's that and there are printables. There's a, a quick devotion for every day. So it's a quote and a prayer and then a little action item for the day. And there's an essay for every day. Um, so it's all in there and, you know, you can do it at your own pace and, uh, it's certainly, you know, not too late in the sense to celebrate Advent and to prepare for Christmas. It, it's never too late as long as, you know, you, you put yourself in the presence of God before That's right. the feast of the nativity. And then it's not too late to celebrate Christmas on December 25th. You can keep celebrating Christmas. It's good. Right. I love that. You're going to give me a good reason to just stay in that yep. that relaxed family, celebratory, hopeful mode. And I, I yep. think that'll do our hearts good to not feel panicky that it's over on the 25th, you know? Right. So right. much hope. Well, as usual, I'm so thankful to have this time with you. And, and the fact that we get to share it with others makes me even happier. And um, we have to do this more. I, I have to talk Should to you more. I loved it. Loved okay. it. We will. Okay. We will. I well, I am wishing you much rest after this nutcracker extravaganza. <laughs> and uh, for the rest of Advent, my friend, I'm praying much blessing on you and your family as you go forward. So have a beautiful you week. Too. You All too. Right. Thank you. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that concludes our episode with Elizabeth. And I'm so thankful to her for joining us today. And so you can find all the show notes to this episode, all the links that we mentioned over at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 70. And in those show notes, you'll be able to find the link to Elizabeth's new ebook, Comfort and Joy. And I hope you will go over there and check that out. There is so much goodness packed in at such a reasonable price. I think she's selling it for $11. And if you enter the code MUDSTORIES, you will be able to get $2 off that price. And I think you'll find it has some printable calendars, just everything we mentioned in the episode and more. And I hope that it is an encouragement to you during this season, to you and your family. It would be such a gift to me if you would take some time to go subscribe to this show so that you will get updates each and every week. Leave a rating or review if you can on iTunes. And I read each and every one of those. I'd be so thankful. And it just helps iTunes know to show this show to more people. To show this show. That's kind of a tongue tire. <laughs> to show this show to give it more exposure to a wider audience. And of course, the best way to share this content is if you would send a link to a friend and just share this podcast so that others can be encouraged no matter what they're facing this season, that they can know that there's hope. This is a season of hope. And speaking of hope, I hope you will join me next week as I release to you an episode that I recorded with Liz Curtis Higgs. She is here to share with us her mud story and a lot of encouragement for this season as well. And I can't wait to share that with you. So I hope to see you here next week. And until then, 
No matter what you're facing today, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, may you find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful week. Never in rubber feels a press upon my mind. I pull a shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the blame, and I never will find a way out. And then I feel you next to me. You lift my head to see. Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never in any mother feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul Grateful song to sing.